0: Welcome back to The Reeducation. Today's show is about the push and pull that leads Jewish people to make Aliyah and emigrate to Israel. My guest is a young man going places, Blake Flayton, a co-founder of the New Zionist Congress, a columnist for the Jewish Journal of Los Angeles, and a recent graduate of George Washington University who will be making Aliyah this month.
1: This is an ITN newsflash from the Olympic village in Munich, where early this morning, armed Palestinian guerrillas raided the sleeping quarters of the Israeli team. The gunmen shot dead two Israelis and are now holding 20 athletes and six officials as hostages. The guerrillas are demanding the release of 250 Arabs held prisoner in Israel and have set noon as the deadline for their release.
0: That was one of the original news reports from 50 years ago when operatives from a Palestinian terror group called Black September infiltrated the Olympic Village in Munich, Germany, and initially took nine members of Israel's wrestling team hostage after killing two of them. After a botched rescue attempt, the terrorists killed the remaining hostages. It's hard to overstate the enormity of the psychological blow that this massacre had on the young Jewish state in 1972. Only a generation after the Holocaust, more Jews were being slaughtered in Germany. But this time, the killers were not Nazis. They did not represent a state. They were operatives on behalf of a people who claimed to be made stateless by the Jews. Now, that's not exactly right. When Israel became independent in 1948, the original United Nations partition plan also created a Palestinian state. Palestinians, along with all of the other Arab countries, rejected that plan, and then proceeded to lose a war against a new Israeli army. The anti-Jewish terror of Black September represented an anti-Semitism of the left. For some Americans, that may be a difficult concept to comprehend. After all, the Nazis were fascist, despite their name meaning national socialists. They were on the right. They were obsessed, for example, with racial purity, and they hated communists. Today, the fringes of the alt-right will march with tiki torches, chanting, the Jews will not replace us. But anti-Semitism infects elements of the left, and it always has. The Soviet Union vilified Russian Jews as greedy capitalists who clung to their false religion. Among the prisoners Black September demanded to be released in exchange for the nine hostages they eventually killed were the founders of the German Red Army faction, Andreas Bader, And Ulrike Meinhof. This small criminal cult had convinced itself that the West German government was no different than the Nazis. They believed that they were fighting for the socialists. They believed they were fighting on the side of the left. Now, the first Zionists, of course, would not be surprised by any of this. As Theodor Herzl wrote in 1896 in his seminal tract, The Jewish State, the world is provoked somehow by our prosperity, because it has for many centuries been accustomed to consider us as the most contemptible among the poverty stricken. In its ignorance and narrowness of heart, it fails to observe that prosperity weakens our Judaism and extinguishes our peculiarities. It is only pressure that forces us back to the parent stem. It is only hatred encompassing us that make us strangers once more. Thus, whether we like it or not, we are now and shall henceforth remain a historic group with unmistakable characteristics common to us all. What Herzl is saying here is that we cannot as Jews wish away the historical fact that sooner or later the Jews of the diaspora will come under attack simply because they are Jewish. Anti-Semitism is just a fact of history. Give it time. In this respect, Israel is meant as a safe haven for Jews, a place where the Jews can come when they are fleeing oppression. It's not just a safe haven, I should say. It revived the Hebrew language. It is in many ways the Jewish people taking its place kind of as actors in history, as a nation state. But it is also unique in that it is a safe haven. And this means that even for Jews who live in the diaspora, they will have a bond with the Jewish state a kind of break glass in case of emergency and this is extremely important to understand why today the anti-zionism on campus is also very much a kind of anti-semitism anyway here is the great israeli general one of israel's founders one of one of my favorite figures of recent history moshe dayan explaining this concept in an interview with british television from 1972
1: would you rather those rich jews Came to Israel, then they should just send money as conscience money?
0: Both. Both. Jews do not believe their countries unless they have to or unless they are idealist. Not all of them have to, and certainly not all of them are idealists. But I think that we do have to preserve the Jewish nation and also to be helped by the Jewish people. Now, I'm both a Jew and a Zionist. And while it's hard for me to imagine that America, a country that has been For the most part, so welcoming of Jews and so influenced by Jewish ideas. I would recommend reading a new book by Walter Russell Mead on this. So it's hard for me to imagine that America would ever be overtaken by the mania of Jewish hatred. I'm still grateful that Israel exists, just in case I'm wrong. And recently, there has been at least some evidence that I might be wrong. We all know the recent horrors the shootings in synagogues, the shunning and shaming of Zionists and Jews on campus. Last year, a group of Palestinians enraged over the war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza gathered in cars with Palestinian flags and looked for Jews to beat up.
2: A scary and violent attack in West Hollywood, now being investigated as a hate crime. We talked to the man you see getting kicked and punched. He only wants to be identified as M. M said last night around 9 he was out to eat with four friends who were Jewish. They were celebrating an upcoming wedding when things took a violent turn with Palestinians who were protesting on the same street.
1: And we turned around they started yelling, they stopped the car, they started yelling they were casting at the Jews.
2: M said within minutes, glass bottles were thrown toward their table. Then video shows the men get out of their vehicle and push M's friend to the ground. That's when he grabbed the rope barrier.
1: I realized I had to uh, take something to scare them, you know. There was many girls behind us. I was scared to uh, they attack everybody.
2: Rocky's cell phone video shows just how chaotic it got. The men followed M to his car and the beating continued.
0: That? didn't happen in Beirut or Paris. That happened in Los Angeles. My guest today, Blake Flayton, has also been chronicling the rise of anti-Semitism on campus. In an extraordinary piece he recently wrote for Barry Weiss's Common Sense Substack, he explained why he was choosing to leave America for Israel. I'd like to read a part of that now. He writes, I had always felt at home in America. It was my home and my parents' home and my grandparents' and it never seemed like it could be any way else. But three weeks from now, I am leaving the place where I was born and making a new life in Israel. Story of why is the story of a growing cohort of Gen Z Jews who see what the older generation cannot see, that the future doesn't feel like it's here as much as there. End quote. For Blake, the problem was what he encountered on campus at George Washington University. And this was the anti-Semitism of the left, It's pride marches that excluded marchers from displaying the Israeli flag. It's student activist groups that single out Jewish students and accuse them of supporting apartheid. Here's another part of Blake's great piece. In 2022, no Jew is worried about being attacked by the Klan on a country road. No, what Jews in 2022 fear is being visible as Jews on the streets of Brooklyn. What Jews in 2022 fear, especially if they're in their 20s, is outing themselves as a supporter of Israel and losing all their friends what we fear is being called apartheid lovers and colonizers and white supremacists, and how those powerful smears might affect our futures, End quote. Now, this is not comparable to the government-endorsed anti-Semitism, say, of Iran. Or, for that matter, the anti-Jewish violence tolerated for too long, but fortunately, it looks like no more in places like France. But it's sinister. It has forced many Gen Z Zionists to live in a closet. Now, it's easy for a Generation Xer like myself to scoff and say, well you know, make better friends. But in the hothouse of the modern American campus, it's not so easy. Anti-Zionism is a cause not only embraced by so many students, but it's taught by professors. It's endorsed by celebrities. It's very much a part of youth culture today. And in that respect, it is a concerted effort to reduce a very complicated struggle known as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to a morality tale bereft of any nuance. Supporting Israel on campus is a bit like supporting Donald Trump. One might as well display a Confederate flag. So faced with a choice between his progressive politics and his Zionism, Blake Flayton has rejected the choice altogether. He is making Aliyah and choosing to live his life in the world's only Jewish state. I wish him well, but I'm also a little sad, because at the moment, I think America needs Blake Flayton more than Israel does. And now, a word from our sponsor.
2: From the grocery store to the gas station, working families are getting hammered by rising prices. But instead of focusing on inflation, Congress is pushing anti-innovation legislation that will impose more financial burdens on working people and seniors. Their misguided agenda could cost public pension plans $109 billion. Teachers, firefighters, and nurses would pay the heaviest price. Congress needs to focus on inflation and leave American workers alone.
0: Well, right now we are delighted to have our guest today, Blake Flayton, who is the executive director and I think a founder of the New Zionist Congress. A columnist for the Jewish Journal of Los Angeles, and a recent graduate of George Washington University, and a future citizen of Israel. Blake, thanks so much for
1: coming on The Re-Education. Thanks so much for having me, excited to be here.
0: Well, I had you on after reading your terrific piece in Barry Weiss's Substack Common Sense about your decision to make Aliyah and emigrate to Israel. And just maybe recap for the audience, why are you choosing to do this as a young man?
1: Well, that's quite a, a loaded question. There are a lot of reasons why I'm choosing to make Aliyah, but usually I like to separate them into push and pull factors. Meaning mm-hmm. that there are pu- meaning there are push factors pushing me away from the United States, and there are pull factors leading me to start a new life in Israel, specifically in. The great city of Tel Aviv in about two weeks' time, a little under two weeks. And the push factors, some of which I characterized in Barry's piece, in, in the piece in Common Sense, and some of them I did not. But what I did talk about in my piece was the rise of anti-Semitism in the United States. And I'm sure a lot of people in the audience know of you know, the anti-Semitism that manifests itself amongst the right wing. We all know about the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooting that killed 11 Jews in October of 2018. We all know about the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. And we all know about the continued threat that white supremacists and white nationalists pose to Jewish people and other minority communities in this country. And that is seen by, you know, bomb threats made against Jewish community centers or various threats made against Jewish schools and things of that nature. But, what we don't talk about as much is the threat of anti-Semitism from the left that is usually harder to detect because it styles itself as just criticism of the State of Israel when I can assure you that it is not. Recently, over the past decade or so, the left's the left's criticism of Israel has transformed from simply being, you know, a, a political difference of opinion to an attack on a core part of a Jewish identity, which is Zionism, and which is believing that Israel has a right to exist. And we have seen this play out on campuses across the country, which I talked a lot about in my piece in Common Sense. We've seen Jewish students have to, having to deal with being ostracized from their social circles and from their their friend groups or campus organizations because they're not willing to go along with this crusade against what Israel is and once you know anti-israel activists on campus graduate from 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 university they go on to influence our institutions which is why we have seen this kind of upswell and demonization of israel and zionists in our media and our politics and our culture and in sort of all facets of of american life and that really worries me because that is a sort of more insidious type of anti-semitism I also believe that there are other problems in the United States as well, facing the Jewish community, such as the choice between either religious observation or assimilation. And a lot of Jews feel as though no route really speaks to them. They don't really want to, you know, become uh, religious observant Jews. That's not the lifestyle choice for them, but they also don't want to discard part of their Jewish identity. They want to live a very Jewish life. And that and a lot of us are choosing to move to Israel, as a lot of us have over the past you know, couple decades from different countries, because it offers us a way to channel our identity in a way that makes sense to us. And then the pull factors, of course, you know, I write about Jewish issues and Israel issues a lot and Jewish history and, and the Palestinian conflict. And it just seems to make sense that if I want to continue in this career, I should live in the place where 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 my subjects are. And I should meet as many people as possible. And I should learn to speak the language and I should start a life in the uh, kind of the epicenter of this universe. So for all of those reasons and more, I am moving to Israel.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, talk about the anti-Semitism on campus. One of the, the, probably the idea of Zionism, the idea of the state of Israel is interlinked with not just the concept that the Jewish people deserve a nation state like any other people but that the Jewish people in particular need a safe haven because they have been historically persecuted in diaspora. Do you feel that the situation for American Jews today, or even let's just say American Jewish college students on campus today, constitutes the kind of persecution that we would associate historically with, say, the Jews of Tsars, Russia, or the Jews of you know Germany in the Weimar Republic, or the Jews in the Middle East—you know, right after nineteen forty-eight—who were often you know who were exiled from their countries and had to go to Israel—is—is is it at that? Would you would you compare it to 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 that level of anti-Semitism at that level of persecution?
1: Of course not. America still remains what in my opinion is the m- most fortunate diaspora experience that we've ever had i believe that outside of israel it is probably the safest place to be a jew if not then north america more broadly and so of course not you know jews on college campuses are not experiencing what their ancestors experienced in you know nazi germany or sars russia or in the soviet union we're not at that point yet and I, I don't I don't mean to say yet as to scaremonger as if, you know, it's coming <laughs> and we all better, you know, <laughs> band down the hatches and, and run for our lives and pull out the suitcase from under the bed. That's that's not what I mean. But what I do mean is that the founders of Israel and, and, and quite a number of Israelis and Zionists still today understand that as long as the Jew is a minority in another civilization, there's always going to be pressures and discomfort that comes with that minority experience. And, you know, it could be worse in some eras and better in some eras, and different circumstances mean different things in in regards to the sense of urgency for which a Jew has to do something about it. But, you know, part of Zionism is understanding that the Jew is always going to be a visitor in another Mm -hmm. person's home. And I, I, I used to not think that about America. I used to think that we were, in fact, home and that we were an integral part of the home. But now I see that, you know, perhaps America wasn't as exceptional, even though it has been better, and it does offer us something that is that is better than that what we have experienced. Perhaps it's not as exceptional as we once thought it was. And so, uh, and and now we have the opportunity to to live out our Jewishness in the way that we see fit. And so, with the rising tide of anti-Semitism, we have the opportunity to move to Israel. I want to get back to this idea of
0: American exceptionalism and how that relates to Jews in America. Do you? Do, do you think that the experiences that you had as a progressive on campus, and in many other Jews of your generation, as progress as as Jews on campus, the shaming, the shunning, and in some cases the threats, and in some cases violence, does is that an indication of a of the broader, I guess you could say, kind of liberal swath or cosmopolitan swath of American politics? Or is it something that is sort of a fringe, but it appears larger than it is on a, in a, in a college campus because college campuses do tend to be more left-wing.
1: Well, as Andrew Sullivan once so succinctly put, we all live on campus now. The, uh-huh. that is the, a good point. yes, the fringe style of politics that is, has been kind of festering on the American college campus over the last several years is not confined to the campus. And this relates to what I said earlier, because the people who are heralding in these ideas and who are propagating them and promoting them and actually changing the way things run in our universities, they're not jettisoning these ideas once once they graduate. You know, they're taking them into, and especially if if, if we're talking about elite universities, which in this case we are, like Ivy Leagues or private universities where in, in big cities, where these kids are going on to, you know, into important jobs, into media, into journalism, into politics, into law, into the creation of culture, and so it is. A, it is a serious problem, and that is why we've seen, you know, an upswell of quote-unquote cancel culture and wokeism, and and and, you know, identity politics and and sensitivity and more more radical progressive ideas making their way into the mainstream because they came from campus and there's it's just completely naive to think that they're they were ever going to stay on campus. But I will also say to that point that I I do believe still that the core of the Democratic Party and the core of of mainstream liberalism in this country is not that. However, the two sides of the political spectrum now are reacting to one another. Mm. And that's what happens in every single country. And so, you know, yes, more radical people graduating from campus and into the culture is is going to pull us farther left. But what's also going to pull the more moderate, reasonable people farther left is the right getting farther to the right and, and kind of slingshotting themselves into crazy land, as we have definitely seen, especially since the Trump era. And so both sides are just reacting to one another and becoming more extreme in the process because you know they're trying to contrast themselves with the other with the opponent's ideas and I will just bring this back to to the Jewish question if you will when that happens in a civilization and one can even say that it's inevitable because no country has has yet to 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 find a way to navigate around that every country has faced this at one point in their history when that happens the Jews are always always in danger because we sort of represent the middle ground, the 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 most, the, the, the truest expression of the democratic impulse to, you know, treat others the way that they wish to be treated and to respect the minority and to, you know, value content over character above all content of character over all else. We kind of embody all of these liberal democratic things. And so when Bro, this I, happens I, I would in argue civilization-
0: the Jewish tradition contains multitudes. I think that there's a part of the Jewish tradition that certainly exemplifies that, and that there's a deep respect in some ways for the idea, of, you know, there is a there is a human rights tradition in Judaism for sure.
1: I'm not necessarily talking about human rights. Yeah. I'm just talking about democratic ideas because it turns yeah. out that everywhere we are in the diaspora, you know, it has nothing really to do with left wing or right wing. It has to do with just sanity and, and right. adhering to rule of law and adhering to moderation and not polarization. Everywhere we are in the diaspora where a society adheres to those principles, we're safe. And when they start to turn away from them, we're in danger.
0: All right. Well, I want to press you on something because I think that it, Donald Trump is a more complex figure for American Jews than sometimes is portrayed. And the reason for that is that there is an element of certainly Trump supporters who are associated with what might be called the all right. And people who believe in anti who believe in semitic nonsense and white supremacy. on the other hand, this is a president who, from just a policy perspective, did more for Israel than maybe anyone except for Harry Truman. And I wanted to know, you know, have you thought about that kind of tension in 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 the in Trump's legacy to a certain extent because you know he he not only moved the embassy, he you know, he He authorized the strike that killed Qasem Soleimani. You can go through the list. But from just a perspective of, you know, Israeli security, Donald Trump was a wonderful president. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think many things can be true at the same time. I think that we should accept that the Abraham Accords were a huge deal in the Middle East and a huge positive development. It's obviously a good thing that Jews are starting to be respected as Legitimate neighbors in in the neighborhood of the Middle East, and that can only lead to you know a stronger wall of defense against Iran's machinations, but also but also just more peaceful coexistence between nations. So you know that I, I very much supported. I don't know if I supported the the embassy being moved to Jerusalem. Mm. I don't. I don't. I always kind of cringe at the expression "Jerusalem is the un you know undivided eternal capital of Israel." I happen to disagree. But you know, so there, there are things that you know, and I, I don't like that there was a settlement or not a settlement, because I think it's, it's in the Golan Heights, which I would really call a settlement. But I don't like you know the the alliance between Netanyahu, who I strongly disagree with his policy proposals and and his sort of support base in Israel and their ideology, and and the alliance between him and Trump. So you know, it, it's a complicated question, and 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 like you said, on top of it, I do. Gen- I do believe genuinely that Trump's rhetoric surrounding immigration ahead of the 2018 midterm elections led to or indirectly led to a white supremacist killing 11 Jews in Pittsburgh because that synagogue had, I believe the night or the week before had held an event with the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society mm. to to welcome in, as as a lot of Jewish organizations do across this country, immigrants and refugees. and And I do believe that Donald Trump's, you know, comments about disloyalty and and his comments to the, I believe it was the Republican Jewish Congress of, you're not going to vote for me because I, I don't want your money and you want to control your own politicians. You know, this is a whirlpool of contradicting things. And, you know, yes, he could be doing some good things for Israel while also harming the United States. So I don't really listen or Jews in the United States. So I don't really I don't really want to listen to anybody who says Donald Trump is good for the Jews or Donald Trump is bad for the Jews. Yeah, you that's, know? A, that's that's a, that's very wise. Personally, I believe yeah. that the Jews in the United States would be a lot better off with Donald Trump not in the Oval Office, because if they have more conservative leadings, then there are plenty of Republicans who can take his place, who would initiate their preferred policies, not only in the United States, but also toward Israel, without the sort of alt-right fan base that Trump has seemed to acquired. So I am, a you know, an anti-Trump person. I also don't take kindly to the liberal you know, to the liberal, I guess, impulse to say that Donald Trump never did anything good for Israel, or Donald Trump is 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 a net negative for Jews, regardless of what this discussion is about.
0: Very, very thoughtful answers. I mean, you're wise beyond your years. Thank you. I wanted to get your thoughts on an element of the Jewish community that has become increasingly critical, in some cases, embracing BDS. I'm thinking about a figure named Peter Beinart. I'm sure you're familiar with him, what is your, they might argue with you than saying, we're still trying to dialogue with the American left. And what would your response be to the, because my has, I guess, recently come out in favor of a full boycott, divest, and sanction, the BDS movement of Israel, which I obviously oppose. But what I want to hear kind of, you know, why not as a, as a, I mean, you, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you are a progressive as a progressive there might be an argument that would say you should stay in America and continue to dialogue and, and recognize where Israel makes mistakes and, you know, still try to reason with some of these misguided people on the left who want to, you know, sort of paint with two a brush.
1: Well, when you look at someone like Peter Beinart, Peter, or Mr. Beinart, I guess, if, if we're being formal here, oh, Mr. Peter. Beinart, Peter, <laughs> and, and I, I think anybody who follows me on Twitter knows how I feel about Peter, and his and his kind of his posse, his ilk of, of, you know, at first they were liberal Zionists and then they were kind of skeptical liberal Zionists. And now, as you say, they have embraced a sort of one state solution, pro-BDS ideology. I believe that they're too far gone. And why I believe that they're too far gone is they have accepted what I believe to be an incredibly radical far-right militaristic and violently anti-Semitic narrative, but have convinced themselves that this is in fact progressive, that this is in fact justice, that this is in fact liberalism, and that this is in fact a more peaceful way forward to sorting out the violence in the Middle East. And if you are capable of that level of mental gymnastics to say, that you know, in in Peter Beinart's case, combining two societies which have been at war with each other for 70 years, which only really are certain of one thing—that they are not the other nation, right—and that putting them in a binational state in in the most hostile anti-Semitic region in the world and stripping Jews of their means of self-defense and their own means of national expression—that that will lead to a more just, safe, and 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 profitable future for the for for jews and palestinians yeah. yeah i mean that is just an insane insanely naive and childish opinion to have in my opinion and so i've tried for these last two years to argue with jews of peter Beinart's um in peter pinear in peter Beinart's. Position where they've just given up on Israel and they don't want to call themselves Zionists anymore. Or if they do, they say you know, kind of pretentiously that they're a Hada Am Zionists. They just want a Jewish spiritual center in 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 the land between the river and the sea. But you know, they're not going to because what it seems to me, what, what it appears to me, is you are looking at Arab anti-Semitism and Muslim anti-Semitism, and saying we give up and we'll compromise and we'll do what you want us to do and they have convinced themselves that that's not suicide and mm. that's not giving in to the enemy. And I found over these last couple of years that I can't make that argument anymore because again, it, it's so far gone, you know, it's 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 such an illogical, not grounded in any sort of reason or or logic that there seems to be no, there, it's, it's like arguing with a brick wall. There's no getting anywhere with it. Mm. So you're going to Israel.
0: You're going to, you're making, a, uh, I'm assuming, do, do you speak Hebrew? Or are you going to take an ul
1: Taking an ul I speak Hebrew now at at one, at, <laughs> at a level that one would call a struggling intermediate.
0: Okay. <laughs> one of the things, so I want to ask, and this is, it's a, it's a touchy subject, but I think we should broach it here, which is that when it, Israel fight itself in a skirmisher or a war, that is usually accompanied in diaspora of increasing incidents. We've seen it in Europe for years, but we saw this last time with the latest Gaza war of anti-Semitic incidents in America. we had this horrific images in 2021, of, I guess, like kind of roving marauders of Palestinians in trucks, finding Jews, eating in outside cafes in Los Angeles, a man was beaten in New York city. It's awful. And it's almost always tied to another conflict where Israel is almost always the stronger party. Now, I think a, a lazy thinker, and this is not me, but I want to try to steel man things, would argue that a country that was founded to be a safe haven for Jews and diaspora is now in some ways a cause of insecurity for Jews and diaspora when it gets in these inevitable conflicts. And I want to, how would you have, I mean, I'm, you struggle with these issues as a young man. What, what would you say about that?
1: So first I would say, first I would describe what anti-Zionism is. Anti-Zionism is not a reaction to what Israel does. Anti-Zionism is a reaction to what Israel is. So when we, talk, when we talk about the rise of anti-Semitism in the diaspora, while there is violence in Israel-Palestine, it is really an important opportunity to explain to people how and why anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are the same thing, because let's see, let's take what's happening in Israel during, let's say, May of 2021. Hamas in the Gaza Strip was wheeled, were wielding knives and telling, you know, crowds of of militants that if the day comes during this operation where they cross into Israel, where they win because they were able to, in some ridiculous fantasy, you know, launch rockets, enough rockets to, to hurt Israel's security forces, then they would kill every single Jew that they found. Right. And of course, Hamas is being, you know, bankrolled by the regime in Iran, which has no problem saying that they don't like Jews. Hezbollah has no problem saying that they don't like Jews because they are Jews. They don't like Israel because they don't like Jews. You know, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, all of these people do not like Jews, and they're trying to wipe Israel off the map. Now, would you call that anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism? And so while all of this goes on in the diaspora, as you said, there are roving gangs of, let's say, anti-Israel activists or you know passionate supporters of the Palestinian cause who are beating Jews up outside of restaurants in LA who are attacking Jews in the Diamond District in New York and throwing firecrackers at them. And then we see sort of less violent consequences, like Jews being made to feel more marginalized on the college campus, or the chancellor of Rutgers University apologizing for condemning anti-Semitism because he was was pressured by... Right, because he was pressured by the Students for Justice in Palestine chapter to do so. Would you call this anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism? It's sort of splitting hairs here. Because anti-Zionism says that the Jews have absolutely no right to live with the same rights and privileges as all other nations of the world. Anti-Semitism says that the Jews have absolutely no right to live with the same rights and privileges as all the other nations of the world. So this this doesn't—it's not like, you know— it's not like any of this exists in a vacuum we're a tiny 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 population of the world when we're attacked in in one space it is used as justification to attack us in another and we need to stop with the hyper intellectual esoteric you know studying of like well if israel didn't do this if israel you know didn't bomb gaza then jews would you know be more safe or or or, would be feeling safer and, and this would be less of a problem on campuses and, and in liberal cities. Well, I'm,
0: not, I'm now, not, I don't, I'm not making that argument. And I obviously, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to, I mean, I agree with what you've just said. But I'm just noting that there is a phenomenon that when Israel finds itself in wars, I'm not getting it? into, I'm not, I don't, in fact, I think Israel almost always is responding to mm-hmm. something. It's not, like, I'm not saying Israel's starting these war, but when it's, in, it's inevitable, there'll be another Gaza war in the next mm-hmm. year or two or three. We don't know, but it'll, it'll happen. We It's been a pattern. When that happens, it is accompanied by increased threats to Jews abroad. And right. in a strange way, and a perverse way, in, in a kind of horrible yet ironic way, that is a, it seems to be a kind of point against the traditional safe haven argument for the state of Israel. That Israel's defense of itself, which it has to do, I'm not arguing that it should Stop I'm not making the policy point does tend to correlate with these
1: acts of anti-Semitism that affect Jews abroad, right, right. And I think an answer to that is there was never not a reason for a wave of anti-Semitism. Sure, you know every time throughout history that violence has been inflicted upon the Jewish people, there's always been an air of justif. The anti semite needs, you know, an air of justification for it. In 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 Germany, you know, the Jews are conspiring, or conspired in World War One. They were working with the French. They were working with the English. You know, they're leeching off of our economy. Or from a pure racial standpoint, they're muddying the purity of our of our nation state. That is why we must commit violence against them. In the Soviet Union, you know, the Jews say that they're communists, but in fact, they are arch-capitalists and they won't give up this original sin of religion. In in Tsarist Russia, you know, the Jews are are hoarding wealth. In the Middle Ages, they killed Christ. They're, you know, they're infecting all of us with the plague. I mean, there's always a reason for it. And so if Israel's at war with Hamas, if Israel's defending itself, the people in this country who don't like Israel now have a reason to attack Jews because they're saying the Jews are violating human rights. The Jews are bombing Gaza. The Jews are killing children, which has some callbacks to, you know, early Christianity, you know, And so therefore we have we have a stamp of approval, mm-hmm. you know, to inflict violence and to marginalize them and to oppress them. And that stamp of approval, by the way, is coming. From human rights organizations who are relentless in their in their really discrimination against the only Jewish state, and their you know, in their perpetual inquiries into the actions of Israel, it's coming from left wing politicians, you know, who who have a microscope under Israel uh, on Israel, and you know, claim that only one state on earth doesn't have a a sacred right to exist. I would argue that anti semitism. Always becomes a problem, and anti-Semitism is always put in motion when there is yes. a reason for the anti-Semitism. When the anti-Semites feel that they are justified in their actions of stripping away Jews' sense of security and removing them from the places where they were once welcomed. So, what you're saying is that
0: the anti-Semite for every it's a pretext. Mm-hmm. Because that's a that's a that's a very good answer.
1: Right, because I mean. How, Anti-Semitism only becomes a problem when enough people don't like the Jews, and I mean, because, because that that's what creates a movement, right? And you know, Richard right. Richard Spencer, you know, can't can't raise an, a coalition against Jewish people by simply saying. You know, the Jews are no good. We don't like the Jews. Let's all, you know, hate the Jews because not enough people would go along with it because you're not giving them a reason why. But if you can say that the Jews are behind this maniacal plot to open the doors of America to immigrants and refugees of the third world to breed out white Christians, you know, and then on top of that say that the Jews are running Hollywood and trying to turn all your kids gay or trans... Then we have a reason. Then we have a justification. Now, now, now things are in motion, right? Now the Jews find themselves in a place of danger. Same thing with anti-Semitism from the left. There are anti-Semites on the left, but they cannot get enough people to join their cause by simply saying, we hate the Jews. Let's wipe Israel off the map. Let's, you know threaten our jewish community centers and let's go you know throw jews out of organizations on college campuses because you haven't given them a reason to do it but if you say the jews are committing apartheid the jews are committing ethnic cleansing the jews are committing genocide all of the things that the left cares about right now all of a sudden you have a reason so that's why when israel goes to war with hamas the iron is hot you know now is the time to trot out all of those accusations and soon, and and you'll get, and we saw what happened on social media, you'll get millions and millions of people retweeting and reposting just wild anti-Semitic conspiracy theories because Mm -hmm. they've been given justification to do so. Yeah, well, let me
0: just end the interview and I want to ask you this, Blake. Do you think that, you know, kind of going forward, there will be a place for Zionists in what might be called a progressive coalition? Or do you think that ultimately, you know, progressive Jews will have to choose between Israel and, and the left?
1: Well, here's the thing. I think that Zionist Jews can still be progressives without necessarily having to join a progressive coalition. And what I mean by that is Look, I'm, you know, if, if I were to stay in this country and continue voting in this country, and I, I still have my American citizenship, so I still will vote for this country, in this country, you know, I have the right <laughs> to vote for Democrats who align with my values. I have the right to vote for people, to for representatives who stand with Israel, but who also share my beliefs on healthcare, and on the minimum wage, and on reproductive rights, and on LGBT rights. That doesn't mean that I have to, you know, join the crusade of the great left-wing movement right now and, you know, and and, and be a part of different organizations and coalitions, and 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 be a part of, you know, social media circles where people talk about, you know, ideas. And you know, that doesn't mean I have to join the club. It could just mean that I vote the way that I vote. Right. So, you don't just because you're not a part of the clique anymore, just because you're not sitting at the table doesn't mean you're not a progressive or a liberal. Look at your voting record, you know, and it and it certainly doesn't Mm. mean that you have to switch over to the Republicans or the conservatives if you're uncomfortable doing that. I would say don't feel like you have to group yourself in with everybody. You can be, you know, an independent person and have your values and and have your opinions and vote the way you want to vote. But that. I guess what I want to get at is
0: how core of value is it for the left in the West, I guess, in general, to support the negation of the world's only Jewish state? Is it because, you know, I mean, every, you know, you can have a coalition of people and you say, like, listen, we disagree on abortion, but we all agree that the taxes are too high. And that's why I Republican or blah, blah, blah. Right. But I mean, it seems to me when you see the stuff for the Women's March and Tamika Mallory, it's like really important that they purge that organization of anyone who openly supports Israel. Mm -hmm. And you talked about it in your own experience at George Washington university, where you recently graduated from. So I'm I I mean, is it that much of a core value that you, that at a certain point you really will have to choose, or is it something that ultimately is maybe a phase or something like that? And then people move on and they'll gravitate to other issues.
1: going to take a minute to think. I've been asked this question before. I just, I always want to make sure that my answer is succinct as possible. I think that progressive spaces in this country are continuing to go down the path of anti-Zionism. But I do see similarities between this country and also Great Britain. Because the same thing happened in that country before the 2019 election, which, as the audience I'm sure knows, could have ended between a prime minister Boris Johnson or a prime minister Jeremy Corbyn. In the years leading up to that 2019 Christmas election, a lot of Great Britain was having the same conversations, and especially Great Britain's Jewish community, about anti Semitism infiltrating left wing spaces, about anti Semitism you know, taking over college campuses like Oxford and Cambridge, about anti-Semitism, you know, becoming institutional in far-left advocacy work. And Jeremy Corbyn lost. Not only did he lose, but he was booted from the party. Many, many people in labor faced consequences for their actions. The European, I believe it's the European Commission for Human Rights for Against Race for Racism and Human Rights, something like that found the Labour Party to be institutionally anti-Semitic, and we saw change. We saw people reckon with this. We saw this conversation happen. And at the forefront of that was the Jewish community itself. The Jewish community itself took a stand confidently and said, we are not going to let this happen in this country, and you will hear us, and you will understand our sensitivities, and you will know that we have a say In the political proceedings to make sure that our safety is ensured that can happen in america it has to happen in america so really the responsibility falls on us to make as much noise as possible whenever this sort of thing arises especially when it arises from our political homes and from the people you know who share our values and who share our beliefs will it but you leaving, but you
0: you making Aliyah, it's like almost, it, it, it. one could interpret that as saying, I hope it happens in America, but I'm going Israel. Like, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, the good news is that the world is smaller now. That's a, it's
0: a, almost like you're voting with your feet, Blake.
1: <laughs> I mean, the good news is that the world is smaller now. And it's like once, you know, someone, it's not like I'm going to make make Aliyah to Israel and all of a sudden I'm no longer involved in American political conversations and can no longer comment on the state of the country and 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 the state of the Jews of this country. So I mean, <laughs> you could say that I'm making Aliyah for selfish reasons because I want to develop my own Jewish identity more productively. But but I think we're all involved in, in this work in, in having these conversations. We're all involved in these wor- in this work of making the Jewish community. Because look what happened with the women's march. The women's march found themselves in hot water into a, they they found themselves in a scandal because enough Jews came out and say and said. Hey, Tamika Mallory, you probably shouldn't be praising Louis Farrakhan, right? And so we saw accountability and we saw a shift. So it can happen if we empower and give Jews incentive to 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 make their voices heard. And that's what I've been trying to do with, you know... Jews have incentives to make their voice. I mean, I
0: you're not worried about that, are
1: you? Well, no, I actually think Jews have... Not a lot of it. I think Jews have the opposite of an incentive to make their voices. Heard. Oh, I
0: see what you mean. On campus, it's become such a such a scarlet right. letter. if you say you support Jews okay, and I know, Jews I'm and progressive. Sorry, I, I interpreted that yeah, Jews way, and
1: progressive yeah. spaces are worried about social backlash if they, you know, call out anti-Semitism amongst their own ranks or if they vocally, you know, or if they make their voices heard about their support for Israel. And that's what we need to ultimately fight against, because in Britain, what led to this national reckoning around anti-Semitism from the left was the Jewish community refusing to let up on this and, ref- and, and constantly bringing it to the forefront of the news cycle and, co- you know, constantly making members of the Labour Party and, you know, respectable, forward-thinking people that your side could have a problem with anti-Semitism too, and we're here to remind you of it and call it out. Okay, well, listen, if that doesn't work, Blake... There's always neoconservatism. <laughs> All right, my foreign policy, you, maybe.
0: <laughs> I want to thank Blake so much, so much for coming on the reeducation, and I wish you the best of luck in your Ulpan and Tel Aviv and Israel as you make Aliyah. It's a wonderful story. I highly recommend reading Blake in the Jewish Journal, but also look up his 2019 op-ed for the New York Times. His recent piece in Common Sense. He is a young man, but a very talented writer. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Eli, for having me. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a Nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.